DJ Simulationistas. So, with Dr. D, Dan Raymer, and Dr. J, Janice Palaganis, coming at you from the Center for Medical Simulation in Boston, Massachusetts. So buckle up your mannequin, and let's roll. You're here with a sad Janice Palaganis, sad because she is very much missing her co-podcaster, Dr. Dan Raymer, who in his more than half retirement is gallivanting across the lands of California, leaving me sad and missing him, yet very excited because we have a new guest with us, Tim Brake. And Tim is a senior staff specialist at the Royal Prince Alfred Hospital. He's also a clinical associate professor at Sydney University. Tim and I met, though, in Hong Kong, where he was previously for about 20 years, right, Tim? And he was a faculty for Hong Kong Academy of Medicine's uh, simulation program and uh, was one of the founding members of the Hong Kong Society for Simulation in healthcare. And it's a pleasure to see you again, Tim. Tim was one of the authors of a section in my textbook, Defining Excellence in Simulation Programs, that talked about simulation across different cultures. Excited to have you today to talk about a topic that I am uh, time-sensitively interested in as we're we're teaching the feedback course right now. And it is feedback across cultures. Thanks, Janice. Thank you for all that you said. Um, so just a, a bit of background. So uh, I'm originally from Australia, uh, and I've just recently returned to Australia after 30 years abroad. Uh, in those 30 years abroad, I worked in the UK, uh, in Tanzania, in Africa. Uh, but the majority of the time was in Hong Kong, uh, where I did further training in anesthesia and pain management. And that's where I became interested in simulation. Uh, and with the support of uh, the Hong Kong Academy of Medicine and the Hong Kong Jockey Club, uh, I was able to come to Boston to do a visiting scholarship at the Center for Medical Simulation uh, about three years ago, which is when we were in touch. What we've been doing here is developing, uh, you know, spending a new focus on feedback. I mean, as you know, we do a lot of debriefing, difficult conversations, um, and giving feedback. We've had, you know, a decade of, of doing that kind of work. And now um, I'm shifting my focus in my role to uh, really coaching people on how to give feedback. And one of the topics that seem to emerge with everything, this topic of how do you give feedback across cultures? I would love to hear what your experience is like in terms of considerations when giving feedback across cultures. Uh, I was teaching a simulation-based simulation course. It's called Effective Management for Anesthetic Crisis. Mm -hmm. uh, this was a course designed by the Australian and New Zealand College of Anesthetists uh, and was mandatory for their anesthetic training uh, towards fellowship. Uh, we also adopted this in Hong Kong as a mandatory requirement for the Hong Kong Fellowship of Anesthesia. 
so I had the opportunity to teach this course both in Hong Kong, but also in Australia and New Zealand. And what I found was in the debriefing times, it was very difficult to get a conversation going uh, in Hong Kong. Uh, trying to draw out responses from people was difficult. People wouldn't speak up, they wouldn't um, express their frames. Whereas when I was debriefing in New Zealand and in Australia, I found people were jumping a bit to uh, contribute to the conversation, uh, very willing to expose their frames, very enthusiastic. And I thought this was fantastic and so much easier to debrief, but it, it took me a while to realise that we actually were having other problems in the Australian-New Zealand context, uh, conflict between participants, uh, people speaking up uh, antagonistic ways and uh, causing breach of the safe learning environment. So that's what got me interested in this topic and I started reading around it, particularly within the aviation literature, and came across the uh, concepts of culture and simulation, particularly applied the Hofstede model of uh, cultural axes. Mm -hmm. So Hofstede was uh, worked in the 1980s and he was uh, working with the IBM, which is a large multinational corporation working in many different cultures. And he uh, interviewed uh, over 100,000 employees in more than 70 countries. He led to describe their national cultures. And he used different axes uh, of cultural description. The ones I particularly want to deal with are called the power-distance relationship, mm -hmm. the uncertainty-avoidance, uh, and the individual-collectivism axes. To deal with the power-distance relationship, essentially this is the relationship between subordinates and superiors. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's the extent to which the less powerful expect and accept that the power is distributed unequally. Basically represents inequality, uh, but it's defined from below, not from above. So it's how the people in high power distance cultures accept their position and follow authority. Those cultures tend to have authority, very centralized and very hierarchical powers. As compared to lower power distance for cultures, which are more decentralized, have fewer layers of management and flatter levels of hierarchy. So typical high power distance cultures would be the Asian cultures. Um, for example, uh, Japan would be the classic one. Korea would be another example. But also some of the South American cultures also have high power distance relationships. Um, as compared to countries like the USA or Australia, which ha tend to have very low power distance relationships. There, there is a power distance index and Australia has one of the lowest power distance indexes of 36 as compared to Hong Kong, which is quite high at 68. I've looked at the US figures and they're about 38 out of the 70 countries tested. So they also have a very low uh, power distance relationship. Uh, the second concept was the uncertainty avoidance. Uh, and this describes the way different cultures deal with uncertainty. Uncertainty avoiding cultures tend to minimize uh, this by having strict laws and rules uh, and safety and security, whereas the opposite, so uncertainty accepting cultures, are usually more tolerant of different opinions, 
uh, they tend to have less rules and tend to tend to break the rules and uh, take shortcuts. Typical high uncertainty avoidance countries would be countries like Japan and Korea. So is, is it very, uh, is it correlated with the power distance index? Yes, very much so. So okay. the power distance and uncertainty avoidance tend to be correlate quite closely. Uh, okay. Yeah. Although it was quite interesting that um, the figures for um, Australia was uh, 51. Of, so these are 0 to 100 scales. New Zealand similar 49. And Hong Kong was actually quite low in uncertainty avoidance at 29, which is a little unexpected. Countries like Japan and South Korea had quite high indexes of 92 and 85, respectively. So Hong Kong and, interestingly, Singapore one of, scored one of the lowest at eight were quite out of the trend for Asian cultures. And then you have a third concept. The third context was the individualism, collectivism, which is probably something that uh, you can probably understand quite well in the U.S. because the U.S. promotes itself as an individualistic society. So they have a very high individualism, collectivism index, uh, around 90, whereas Hong Kong uh, had a very low individualism collectivism index of 25, indicating that it was more collectivist. So individualism is the extent to where an individual's behavior is influenced by those around them. In highly individualistic cultures, the ties between individuals are fairly loose. So everyone looks after themselves and probably their immediate family, whereas in collectivist countries, they're more influenced by their in-group. So that would be their extended family, but also uh, the society that they're in. They tend to define themselves by their group and make decisions based on the impact of the group. So there, there are a few other cultural dimensions, uh, masculinity, femininity. Um, yes. I'm always cautious to go into that one, <laughs> which is more about um, how defined the roles are within a culture. Well, there's lots of um, literature on feedback on how feedback differs both in receiving and giving between gender. And and I think you're bringing up a really great, and I do want to be respectful of when we say feedback across cultures, what is culture? And, and that, you know, people think of that differently, which could be gender, it could be age, it could be profession, in my case, with interprofessional education organization, organizational culture, and then as we're talking about now, geographic and, and um, ethnic cultures as well. There's another interesting concept within culture, which is um, countries such as the U.S., which are great melting pots of different cultures, and that would apply yeah. very much to Australia as well, uh, are very heterogeneous in terms of their culture. So that if you meet someone with, with even within the USA, even within your, your neighborhood, they could be a completely different culture from you, like different uh, belief structures, um, different religion, um, which oh, absolutely. You can't make any assumptions. So given all, given all of these dimensions, concepts, different types of cultures in mind, what I'm interested in is, you know, when you come to a course at the Center for Medical Simulation, we teach you different scripting, ways to approach conversations, our expertise is in difficult conversations. And 
encourage you to apply them. And I think we don't take into account enough cultural differences because that might serve as a barrier to actually applying what you've learned and practiced and acquired here in the United States to other places. Although we have taken our work to many, many other countries and have Mm. seen it successfully work. And so one of the things, the way I like to think about it is, um, I, I like to think about it as oranges, that every culture is like an orange and the inside of the orange is what we teach. And I think what we teach it applies because it's human nature, it's human factors, things that we find difficult no matter what culture you're in. But I think the thickness of the peel differs from each culture to culture, kind of like what you're saying here, the power distance, uncertainty, avoidance, individualism, collectivism, the way you get to the actual meat, (laughs) the fruit, is different, but you still need to learn how to peel it to get to it. So how have you done that in your practice at keeping all of these concepts and dimensions in mind? That was uh, a very interesting image. I would agree that the meat of the course is relevant to all uh, all cultures and all societies. But there may be different priorities within each culture, different learning needs uh, within each culture. So understanding the culture is very important. One of the things we did uh, with our study uh, using the Operating Room Management Attitudes Questionnaire to look at the pre and post course uh, results. And that basically represents attitudes towards safety items. What we did find is we did make a difference uh, with this crisis management course in some uh, areas. So things, uh, particularly in assertiveness, uh, there was a significant difference pre and post course, um, information sharing, teamwork and values. There wasn't a lot of difference in the leadership um, and speaking up areas, which were actually uh, disappointing because those were learning objectives for that course. So this allowed me to reflect quite a bit on how we can adjust the course to that culture by actually closely uh, looking at our outcomes from the course. If we particularly want to look at feedback, so one Mm -hmm. of the understanding the culture that you're working in being aware of their their learning needs, designing the learning objectives around those uh, learning needs, speaking up uh, against uh, uh, authority in a very strong hierarchical uh, culture can be difficult. So you may need to address that very specifically and uh, and gently and encouragingly um, in your in your feedback. Uh, whereas other items where Things like teamwork, which they tend to do very well, particularly um, as they're a more collectivist culture, but because there's such a good pre-course uh, level of expertise in this area, it may not need to be as emphasised as, as others. Can I ask a, a question about that? So one of the other topics that keep coming up in this feedback course is how to tactfully give feedback in team settings. And so in these collectivist cultures, have you experienced feedback in team cultures and have you noted any strategies for that? I think one of the the main issues there is to 
to give feedback to the whole team. One of the, the great risks in, uh, in any feedback situation is to focus very much on the hot seat or on the leader uh, mm -hmm. and almost have a dialogue between the, uh, the instructor and the, the hot seat uh, over their performance. Uh, whereas in, in terms of the team culture, but also within those societies, focusing on the whole team and having people recognize what their role in the team is, their potential contribution and how they affect the, the teamwork as a follower. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, there are times in when, when I'm giving feedback in, in teams, especially interprofessional teams, and you almost have to highlight an action that only one person did at times. Uh, but then approaching it from a team perspective of um, and what were you doing in this moment and how could it, mm. how could you have helped in this moment, even though you weren't the one doing the action? Other techniques that I've used um, is to is direct questioning of individuals, uh, trying to draw them into the conversation. What's often referred to as cold calling because people are often not uh, unwilling to volunteer information. Very directed uh, conversations can often help to break down uh, those barriers. And is cold calling, in your experience, disrespectful in itself in some cultures? Because that might be seen as confrontational, I'm thinking, or no? I, I often find they're waiting for an invitation. Okay. Uh, I love that reframe. Uh, and that's... It's an opportunity for them to to express them because often they're very reticent to um, express themselves because they don't want to put themselves above others. Um, mm -hmm. But that, that, uh, often they have great ideas, so I think giving them in, that invitation to speak is uh, quite important. Mm -hmm. I guess to go to the conclusion of that study was that there are different cultures uh, within. We're often taking our courses too, and you, you've had experiences of taking your course all around the world, and that there's no ideal culture. Every culture has its good points and bad points. We just need to adjust to those. Uh, those with low individualism tend to uh, be more group orientated and emphasize interpersonal communications. Those with lower power distance relationships have less of a gap between superiors and subordinates, which has a more flatter hierarchy and uh, that allows for better feedback and speaking up uh, situations. Uh, and those with high uncertainty avoidance will have a preference for following rules and protocols, which uh, we want people to, be com to comply to rules. And yet, at times, they need to be pre-thinking and need to be able to break the rules when it's appropriate. We've already uh, acknowledged the, the relationship between power distance and uncertainty avoidance and that inverse relationship with individualism. Um, so probably the best we can go with is a mid-range for all those variables. And interestingly, the German culture has the closest uh, figures for a mid-range for all the variables. Really? Uh, so I do think we need to tailor the simulation-based uh, education to the culture of the participants, particularly to what their needs are. I agree with you. And um, so Andy Molinsky calls it global dexterity. You know, and keeping all that in mind as 
as you're giving feedback and trying to find a way to be flexible and adapt yourself to um, the culture. Uh, and and I just want to highlight what you said earlier, Tim, is is that you you can't assume the the cultures behind each individual. Mm. Um, and so just to be respectful in itself and, you know, holding the basic assumption of the other person being very, very attuned to the nonverbals, um, cause that gets communicated much more rapidly mm. than anything explicitly said mm. to know how it's being received and, um, to call it out. I, I think it needs to be very educated. So you need to do some research about the culture and understand the cultural nuances, particularly in terms of communication styles, which you've commented on, um, because otherwise it can come over as as being very paternal, uh, acknowledging the culture, but unless you know how that applies to that culture, I think it may be may come across negatively. So, Tim, I am going to ask you another final question to wrap up. I'm finding this very interesting, and I think this is going to be really helpful to our listeners. If someone had no clue about the other culture, didn't have time to read about it, and let's say they're going, they are traveling, so they're going from culture to culture and dealing with all different cultures, and by cultures I don't mean just you know, geographic, but also, let's say, organizational or gender, age, whatever you want to, how you define it. What do you think is the best tip when you're uncertain? How do you approach your feedback to um, be able to have an effective conversation? I think my uh, initial impression there is get local help. Find the uh. local champions and uh, and perhaps they're the interpreters for you uh, in those situations as well and find out how they deal with these situations. Getting those uh, local champions on board, uh, understanding how they work within the system uh, is a great way to do that. And just being open to learning yourself, uh, admitting mm-hmm. your limitations. Um, mm-hmm. Right from the beginning, I think would be a very important way of doing that. That's interesting because you know, as you know, the other thing that I'm very passionate about is the role of vulnerability in teaching and learning. Mm-hmm. And I think that that translates no matter what culture you're in. People appreciate fallibility, and of course, there's a balance because in some cultures, credibility is a lot is is a big deal when you're. Um, but there's ways to still be credible and express your own fallibility uh, for respect of the conversation. Thank you, Tim. This has been really wonderful. Thank you for making time for me this evening. It's your evening. So, all right. Take care. Thanks, Jenna. Okay, thanks for getting me. All right. Bye-bye. DJ Simulationistas, sup? It's brought to you by the Center for Medical Simulation. Find out more about CMS and learn about our simulation instructor training and course offerings at www.harvardmedsim.org. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.